I-94 is presented by Pilsen Community Books. More information is at pilsencommunitybooks.org. I-94 on Lumpen Radio. Hey, everybody, welcome to another edition of I-94, live from Pills and Community Books. My name is Mr. Jamie Trecker. As always, I am joined by Mr. Jeremy Kitchen. Good evening. And Mr. Michael Sack. Yeah. And tonight, we are so pleased. This is somebody, actually, we've been trying to get for quite a while, right? It's been yes. at least a year or two. Last book Jack put out, she was... You were on sabbatical. Yeah. No, you were teaching somewhere else, correct? Yes. Yeah, well... We finally nailed her down. We got her here, tied her to the chair, and she's going to talk to us for the next hour, whether she wants to or not. Please give it up for Jack Jemps. <laughs> I want to talk to you. Well, I appreciate that very much. <laughs> Th- seriously, thanks for coming out. This is like one of your last uh, appearances, too, before you leave town. Mm-hmm. Talk to us a little bit about that, because I know um, you're taking on a new position in some other state that I think is falling into the ocean. Is that correct? <laughs> yes, I'm moving to San Diego. I got a job at... UCSD teaching creative writing, so um, it's a you know it's a good gig for uh, for someone like me. So not for any uh, loss of love of Chicago, but um, but yes, I'm headed away. Well, it's always a loss when we lose literary yeah, people in Chicago because it seems like everybody leaves. Up, uh, we had Christina Sneed on last week, and she moved also to Pasadena. Pasadena. Oh, Pasadena yeah. I don't know California that well, but um, that's it's always a. Uh, it, there's so much good talent here, and it seems like, you know, artistic. Jamie and I talk about this. We have this Trekker kitchen theory. Like, if you're over 40 and you stay in Chicago, everyone's connected somehow if you're involved in the arts because you just kind of end up knowing everyone. Yeah. I feel that way, and I feel acutely the loss of that already. Like, oh, I feel like I'm already mourning it my whole life. Oh, yeah. You're born here. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. you're well, Park Ridge. Oh, you're in Park Ridge. Oh, no yeah. mm-hmm. oh yeah. that's great. Well, we'll miss you. Thank and you. you'll be back. You'll be back. <laughs> yes. You'll be back. But congratulations. That's a great thing. And I wanted to actually start off there uh, because, first of all, I think we really all enjoyed your short stories. But you now have an opportunity to kind of teach other people about what you do and why you do it. And I'd like to dig down a little bit because this collection of stories um, is creepy. Um, it's punchy. And it's really at its core, in a lot of ways, I think about interactions and relationships between people, which seems to be um, not knowing a, a lot about you, to be honest with you, just really coming at it from this book. But since that was something that was through every story, I got the feeling that is something you think drives the engines of stories forward. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Yeah, I mean, essentially, I think that, I mean, the things that I that draw me to to fiction are thinking about uh interactions and relationships between people language uh voice like those are the things that really um that pull me so yeah you're right about that what what caught me also and this is what i thought made your stories a cut above um above some other stories that maybe we've had on this story is that there's actually a narrative and actually a plot and there's a twist and i know that you i believe you want to know henry award who was did you not want to know Henry? No, I didn't. Well, but we can we can start we're gonna that. Pretend, we're going to pretend <laughs> you want to know Henry. <laughs> I was very much reminded of Ambrose Bierce and O'Henry when I was reading these stories because there is a twist. Particularly, there's a couple stories where um, 
you are led to believe that someone is someone they aren't. And oh, right up front, first right up front. Yeah. There's only a couple times when uh, you discover that in the very last line that everything you thought about the character to be true is is untrue. And it's a very efficient way of storytelling, but it's also kind of an antique way of storytelling. It's something that's really gone out of vogue. And I'm glad uh, you mentioned Christine Sneed, Jeremy, because we talked to her about her short fiction. And she was saying one of the things that has really hurt both writers and readers and maybe kept the form of short stories in particular where it is, is there aren't a lot of places to get these things published and try things out and fail. And to me, that was a really interesting observation because I felt that, I have felt personally, that so many short stories that I've read lately all kind of are to a type, and they're the type that is trying to be in The New Yorker, they're the type that's kind of coming out of an MFA program. They're very influenced by what Raymond Carver published before he died. And there's not a lot of room for what but used to be called genre fiction. nowhere as good as Raymond Carver. Well, no, of course not. But <laughs> Godfather. But so that, the genre you, fiction Jack, and, and the horror stuff and, and the creepier stuff, there used to be a lot of outlets for that. And now there are so few places where the average person can pick that stuff up on a daily basis. I wonder if it kind of has had a chilling effect on what writers try to do. Uh, I don't know. I, uh, I feel like there's lots of places to put fiction. Uh, it's just that, uh, like, the the average reader isn't looking for those. Like, it feels like there's more than enough books out there uh, that people aren't just regularly picking up literary journals and stuff. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if that's quite what you're saying, though. Well, I was speaking specifically about short stories. Yeah. And literary journals, I don't think, are mass audience publications. Yeah, right. Exactly. There used to be for mass sure. audience publications that people got to pick up. Jamie Oh, Station. sure. Or like Esquire used to put yeah. fiction yeah. That's, out. That's or like, or women's magazines yeah, also included brow, fiction, There was a lowbrow. Right, yes. Yeah. That market doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. And, and, you know, we were talking about it with Christine, and I, I wanted to get your opinion on it because, I mean, this is the kind of stuff that in 1940 or 1950 would have been in Amazing Stories, or it would have been an Esquire. It would not have been in a literary journal. Yeah. Thank you for that. Uh, yeah, I, don't, I mean, I, I think that um, the stories in this collection, I was thinking of them in more in, in ways that I was thinking about people like O. Henry and Ambrose Pierce. And I think maybe part of it is uh, my, I had a story collection before this called A Different Bed Every Time. And, um, and they're much, I would say that the stories in there are much more meandering, much more language based and like dense in that way. Um, and I think that maybe these stories ended up coming out more, um, more in that other tradition because I was teaching a lot of those stories and so I was thinking carefully about um, about uh, how those stories are built, how they're constructed, like all the pieces that go into making them up. And there was something that really appealed to me about it. Like, uh, like I, I don't think I'd ever actually read the what a, a, an incident at Owl Creek Bridge. At Is Ox that Creek the, Bridge, right? yeah, the yeah, 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 yeah. Bridge. yeah, 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 yeah. It's um, Owl. Well, the Twilight Zone episode, we can all go home and watch it and we'll find out. <laughs> oh, is there a Twilight Zone yeah. episode they, they, of they it? They aired uh, the French film yeah. that won the Oscar, became a Twilight Zone episode. Oh. They show that in my elementary school class. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, mine too. Yeah. yeah, and they hang the dude at the end. That's great. Yeah. 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 It, yeah. I was, That's the best wow. I thought about that now. Like, 
It's yeah. bananas. Well, it won the Oscar for Best Short Film in like 64. It was a, it was not a Twilight Zone production. Mm-hmm. They they bought it That's and right. put it on. That's right. Um, and it's on Netflix, by the way, not to give a plug for Twilight Zone, but yeah. you can see it anytime. But anyway, go. I'll plug Twilight Zone. It, well, and I, I was also teaching, I was teaching a class on flash fiction that is like, that really has its roots in those O'Henry turns mm-hmm. at the ends of stories too. Yeah, so for sure. But the Twilight, but even beyond literature, the Twilight Zone, uh, and like I love Hitchcock, and so all of Hitchcock, he, he often has some sort of twist at the end that's very, um, very tidy like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. One of the things, uh, you know, we were talking about your your writing style. The sentences are so concise in this book, and you're not using ginormous SAT words. Um, and a, a lot of the like, n- like new realm of short stories. I, I'll read a short story, be like ten words. I don't know, and I don't know if that's because, you know, people are writing. They're like, oh, I got to use a word that no, I've that. It, no one knows, but for me, uh, I'm, I'm not an academic. I was an English major, but like I barely graduated high school, and my grades in college were mediocre at best. So it took me back to just reading stories that are very pleasurable they're and not difficult uh, technically, obviously thematically. They were, they were very difficult, and uh, there was I, – I, just this is a side note. I'm currently reading the new uh, book of letters of Flannery O'Connor, mm. and uh, she's talking about her family shooting and eating a horned owl, and it reminded me, you know, of Strange Loop. I just read this uh, last <laughs> night. I'm like, who eats owls? For one thing, can you talk a little bit about Strange Loop and what made you decide to uh, deal with the subject matter, the taxidermist and um, his inner monologues. Yeah, sometimes the stories for me come out of um, like an I- just a kind of passing interest in a in a topic that I don't know a lot about, um, and so I um, yeah I read up on taxidermy and I started thinking about um, like who would be a like a a compelling person to pursue that in a story like what would allow me access to being allowed to use all of that language and those processes and to think about the processes of taxidermy as a metaphor for some sort of life um, or for a person who, you know, wants to do some bad thing but channels that energy into doing something that's more um, constructive with the, like, with the destruction that they want to cause. So, yeah, so I, I like to read... I mean, I I read. I would say that I read probably seventy five percent fiction, but I do like to read a lot of nonfiction too, um, and it usually ignites something in me for for some story or something. You know, even if it takes a while for it to percolate. That's gotta happen often. Yeah. That's why I met. How how many stories did you have to scrap for, for the collection? Oh, um, you if know, any. no, I did scrap stories for sure, um, because. When I was thinking about um, I, when I was thinking about all the stories in conversation with each other as a collection, there were definitely things that I realized. Oh, you know, like I have written this since the last collection of stories that came out, but they don't feel like they are um, like they they don't feel like they're 
echoing with the other stories. Like if you think of the collection as like an echo chamber, you know, and it's sort of, and things are bouncing off of each other and, uh, and like, uh, if there are elements of the stories being attracted to elements in other stories, like there, that, I guess that's one way that I think about putting a collection together is, um, you know, there, there end up being stories that, you know, before I knew what the collection would be, I was trying something out. Um, but then I, I would say when I got maybe 50% of the stories, then I started and I could see connections between them. Then I start writing toward completing that collection. So I start thinking about the stories and how they'll fit in with what I already have grown. Would you would you say doubt and anxiety are a couple of those? Yes, echoes? for sure. Yeah. <laughs> did you read a Did you read a How to on Taxidermy, or were you reading about taxidermists, or just one day you decided to? Did you stuff anything? <laughs> I didn't. Did I didn't do taxidermy? any taxidermy no, no. myself. No. Um, I, I mean, I think I read like a combination. And I, this isn't even like highbrow research, like Wikipedia, some like how to's you know, um, I'm a librarian, processes right? of uh, what was that? I'm a librarian. We don't talk about Wikipedia. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's um, a, it's a, it's a bad joke, but yeah. Wikipedia librarians are not fans. But. Yeah. It's sometimes it's maybe an okay jumping off point. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I like, I like how you can kind of rabbit hole and fall down a rabbit hole in Wikipedia, like following links. And then you figure out something that you're actually interested in and want to learn a lot more about. And then we need you. Full disclosure. <laughs> I use it for myself, yeah. but I would not, if someone came in looking for information, I would not use of information course. that came off Wikipedia. But I mean, <laughs> if I'm looking up some band and you know, what members were in yeah. Slayer or something? Uh -huh. I would. Which you do frequently. I do. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yes. Mm -hmm. And so that I would use Wikipedia, but just the title of a Twilight Zone episode. The title yeah. of a Twilight Zone yes. episode, which we apparently can't even remember, even though we've all seen it. <laughs> yeah. It's funny you mentioned taxi. It's too bad you're leaving because actually the Field Museum has a woman there that will teach people taxidermy. Oh. And one of the things that she does, and uh, she happened to be on one of my other shows. They um, get all the dead animals that have been hit on Chicago city streets, and they bring them to the Field Museum, and she will sort them. So oh if it's um, a pigeon, you know, they've got plenty of pigeons. They don't need a pigeon. But if it's something rare that died, she will take it and see how much she can save and then stuff it and reuse it. And they've got those amazing tanks of the beetles that right. eat the That's flesh correct. off of the That's bones, Have you seen too? it, though? Yeah. It's, it's not exciting. Oh. <laughs> it's, you imagine it's, it's just like, no, 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 It's like, a much, it's, it's a it's very not, slow process. No, it's like watching process. plants grow. It's not Raiders yeah. of the Lost Ark style. Because my friend uh, Jen used to work there, and she, I was very excited. She's like, it's not that exciting, but I went down there. and Yeah, unfortunately, it's, I was like super stoked about it, but that's not how it, uh, no. yeah. how it works. <laughs> <laughs> but taxidermy is actually pretty cool. I'm, I'm down with it. My mom has always liked taxidermy. I think that's like a thing that, uh, like there were there was a little weasel uh -huh. in our house growing up, and there's like a baby ostrich in the living room. Get an ostrich yeah. in Park Ridge, huh? Yeah. Well, maybe one of the only ostriches. Yeah. In it's Park little. It's only like this really? big. Yeah. Oh, like a baby ostrich. Mm -hmm. Oh man, I've been trying to get my wife to. I've been trying to convince my wife to get a stuffed fish. For our bedroom, please, mm. please don't ask about that. <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, like a, a bass or something. I, uh, there's my grandfather had one of those. Oh. Yeah, I really, I really want one. Did he, have had... Did he have in his bedroom? Uh, actually, yeah, they had they had a couple. You know, it's fish family. Oh, fish family. Yeah, I just wanted to have the nautical theme. Did you ever read the stories of Saki? 
H.H. No, Monroe, no, the Scottish no. author. Mm-hmm. Well, I, when I was reading this collection, it reminded me most of all of his stuff. He was a oh. um, turn-of-the-century Scottish author who, who uh, also specialized in those kind of Ambrose Biercean turns. And it was something Jeremy mentioned, actually, earlier um, before the show started that made me think about it. The economy of language you use in these stories uh, and the fact that you were able to drive the narrative forward with efficiency is actually something that's really difficult to do. Writing action is is hard in short stories. And I was really impressed by... Especially, it's very short, concise. Well, that's it. I I was really impressed with the, the economy and the efficiency in some of these stories, getting from point A to point B so quickly. And I wondered how much time, because I mean, you know, I've looked at some of your other stuff and I think you're right, it was a lot worrier. How much time did it take you to kind of get in the mindset of paring things down to a kind of a core essential um, and and just letting it go from there? Um, you're, you're asking uh, in my life as a writer or like for a story? For these <laughs> stories in this collection. Well, I think that I... I do it more naturally now, um, like even in a first draft, especially Mm -hmm. if I'm writing, if one of the first things that I know about a story that I'm working on is that turn that I know I want to take at the end and I'm writing toward that turn, toward that twist, um, I... I'm not very patient. Like I just kind of want to get there and, uh, and I'm not great at, uh, taking my time and, you know, inserting like a B storyline and like distracting from, from the task at hand. So, um, so I think when I, different stories start in different ways, but when I know that it's working toward a surprise like that, like I'm, I'm, I'm pretty quick at it now Mm -hmm. I think some of it too is just I mean it's just um you know like the you know it's like those 10,000 hours that uh get you closer to what you want to be good at you know um but um like I I try to avoid like passive voice and to be verbs and all that stuff and I think earlier in my life as a writer like that stuff I'd have to draft it with all the junk in it and then cut it out and now uh, I'm getting closer to just writing the first time in that way. Yeah, and that that is definitely a learned skill. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say I I write nonfiction, but I have written some fiction as well. And it's interesting you say that because learning the difference between how a passive voice affects a story and how an active voice affects a story is one of those kind of key structural things you have to learn, particularly in short stories, mm-hmm. um, and particularly in writing anything that's kind of close to horror. Um, And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily call your stories horror. I think there's some echoes of horror. Unsettling. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a a dread, maybe, an eeriness about them. You know, could you talk a little bit about why that attracts you as a subject material in the first place? But then it would be great if you could talk a little bit about some of the techniques you've learned because, again, you're, you're writing in a very efficient, economical style to make sure that dread is, is present from the very start and kind of carries through to the very end. There's always a, an air of something being off, and that, that actually is very impressive. It's very difficult to do that. Um, some of these stories I felt 
you know, it, you, you know, whenever you're reading a story, you kind of have that narrative in your head. I, I felt sometimes like I was entering the room of the story, but the room was not quite right. And I couldn't put my finger on why it wasn't right. So if you could just kind of maybe talk a little bit about that, I think our, our listeners, I think, would be fascinated by that. Uh, yeah. Um, I So as far as horror goes, you know, I think it's funny, like, because I wrote the, the last thing that I wrote was a haunted house story. Um, I feel like it, it's interesting to see people try and read this work in through the lens of horror. They but, throw it um, out there when you read, uh, when I read some of your reviews. And, yeah. And when I was reading, I'm like, oh, this doesn't... It's not, it's, I wouldn't say it's horror. But right, yeah. Un- yeah. Unsettling, I yes, would say. But, um, but the idea of dread uh, feels more accurate to me, and I think it goes back to um, this, uh, this uh, combination that Anne Radcliffe talks about, the difference between horror and terror, and that horror is being confronted with the horrific thing, is being repulsed by the, by um, by some terrible occurrence, um, whereas terror is this um, this bubbling dread, fear, anticipation, anxiousness, um, and good horror has both, um, but. Uh, I, I think sometimes I shy away from the horror and I live just totally in the realm of terror. And um, and I um, like I don't love giving the reader the satisfaction of the horrific. I think yeah. sometimes that can be like the moment of release for a reader. Um, so, I mean, ultimately, I mean, the other thing is that I think in the realm of terror, um, that's also where you encounter the uncanny. And the uncanny, I think, is what, maybe what I'm most interested in, that idea of a thing that's familiar to you becoming strange. Mm-hmm. And so um, and so that go ba- goes back to what we were talking about with um, with the relationships between people, you know, like it's most unnerving if the person who you think you should know best uh, is suddenly uh, unrecognizable to you. Or, you know, the, like a haunted house story is sort of the, the best spot for... Um, for the uncanny because it uh you know it's home should be the most comfortable comforting comfortable f- familiar place to you and then when you're not comfortable at home when it when your home feels uh like something's off then that's um then that's the worst that's the worst case scenario you know so um so those are things that are in my mind as far as tactics of um of trying to create that mood or atmosphere. Um, I feel like I have a couple different ways that I think about it. One is um, is at root with the language, trying to find strange ways of describing familiar things. Thank you. <laughs> um, so, you know, if someone smiles, at, this is just a, a bad example, but if someone smiles at you uh, and the smile doesn't feel welcome, doesn't feel like something you want to see, you know, like smiling with a mouthful of teeth or something like mm-hmm. like there's a there's a menace to that. But it, there's actually nothing false or strange about that description, right? It's just not the way you would normally describe that. And so trying to find ways of suggesting that discomfort with the language mm-hmm. I use. Um, and the other thing that I, um, that, I think I'm, uh, that I think I always have in the back of my mind is there's this great essay by the writer Robert Boswell mm-hmm. um, called The Half-Known World. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know it? Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. And he talks about how um, if you 
anytime that you reveal a secret to the reader that you should, um, if, for as much um, like uh, satisfaction that they get in finding out the answer to that question that's been in their mind in the narrative, you want to be uh, also posing in their mind an equal amount of new mystery. So sort of moving the reader forward from uh, this moment of satisfaction into the next moment of discomfort. And so um, so anytime I'm, I'm kind of teasing out those questions and answers, I have that equation in my mind right. too. Because he, I think he, if I remember correctly, I think the New York Review of Books re-released something like that of his. And I think his point was that the mystery is always ultimately more satisfying than, than the I secret. I think so, for sure. For those yeah. of us that don't know, Boswell wrote when? Oh, oh. he's, I th he's oh, still he's alive. Yeah. Oh, he's yeah. alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking um, of someone else. He's a contemporary writer. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, I mean, there have been other essays. I mean, um, the guy who wrote The Rim of Morning also had a similar essay. Um, and I'm blanking on his name, but I, I know it because the, the NYRB books we talked about oh, cool. uh, re-released it. He was a British author, but his his point again was essentially the same. Um, it's interesting. We we've got to go to a break in a couple minutes, but before we do, it just this is not related to your work at all. But H. P. Lovecraft is someone that is usually called horror, also a bad writer. But Real I've bad. always thought he's more on the terror side, and some of the yeah. stories and mm. you know. But what about like? Cthulhu. I mean, that's scary. Well, no, I mean, this is what's interesting about it. If you actually like drill down in Lovecraft, he's a terrible writer. Oh, if absolutely. You actually I'm not arguing what that. He's, he is, what he's I've writing. always had a hard But time. I, I actually, and I mean, of course, he was a horrible person, but I, you know, I, I'm not going to judge him by our standards today. I don't think that's fair to him. But um, his, his stories still have an enduring power, and they are frightening, and there is terror there. Did you, when you were kind of approaching taking on the uncanny think about some of those precursors like Lovecraft and, and like Beers and the techniques they used. I mean, Lovecraft's an extreme example, but I mean, because he was so repetitive, you know what I mean? Nonetheless, he does set up brilliantly a very strange world and a very strange society that other writers, in fact, uh, ran with because it was so compelling. I don't really like Lovecraft. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I but I mean, I've, I've read, you know, like I, I read an anthology of his stuff, like a collection of hit, and it's just not really my thing. And I think maybe it's like, I, I, like personally, mm -hmm. what I, I, I like to work with like the real world right. elements and manipulate those to find the strangeness. And he does a lot of world building. He does, yeah. yeah. Um, which I'm not opposed to, you know, there, there are writers who do that, that I enjoy, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I think if I, you know, I, I feel like it, it's like a Beatles versus Stones question. Like if I had to choose like Poe is my guy mm -hmm. and I was, and I do think about Poe a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, and I feel like he, it, like I see in what he does more of what I'm trying to do. What so, about Beatles versus Stones? Who would you pick? Uh, you're gonna, stones, you're gonna be mad. Obviously. Maybe not. No, I the Beatles. You hate them both. No, no, no. <laughs> I like them both, but I grew up. Obviously, you know, the Stones. It's obviously, stones. Oh, well. that's okay. Obviously, the Stones. At least I'm honest. Yeah, right? it's true. You are. <laughs> fair. How did you know we were Stones guys? I j because it just, just of course you are. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Man, those songs hold up way better, i got to tell you. Hey, we got to go to a break. After the break, we're going to be talking more with Jack Gems. She's written False Bingo. It's here in my hand. This is Radio Not TV, so you can't see it, but please give it up for her, and we'll be right back.
If you enjoy listening to I-94 and other programs like this on Lumpen Radio, please consider becoming a member today. More information is at lumpenradio.com. And now, back to I-94 on Lumpen Radio. Welcome back to Pills and Community Books. We are here for another edition of I-94. My name is Jamie Trecker. As always, I'm with Jeremy Kitchen. Good evening. And Mr. Michael Sack. Howdy. And today we're talking to Jack Gems. She is here for her new book, False Bingo. It's out now from Ferris, Strauss, and Giroux. Please give it up for her. Thank you. Come back. So I'd like to talk about Trivial Pursuit, which was my favorite story of... Uh, the collection. I was telling Jack uh, during the break when I was a kid, there my, the bar that my parents hung out at, which was called the Goat Farm uh, in suburban Detroit, had oh, a trivia what? Con- a Goat name. Farm. The Goat, Goat Farm. Farm. Yeah, they had a trivia question every Friday, and if you got it right, everyone would get a drink, and I would go to the bar with my parents and answer the trivia question every week. And Although the story is not specifically about Trivial Pursuit, it's we were talking about relationships as a theme in your book, and it's, I guess you'd call it dates with other couples, uh, just just different fair. types of hanging outs. I don't know what you would call it when you inviting people that you're not super close with to hang out with. Do you want to talk a little bit how you got the idea to put all these things together? Because I could totally relate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I mean, I think some of it is uh, a, a lot of it is just like the joy that I take in like recognizing those little like interpersonal things, and like also recognizing how guilty I am of so many of them. So, um, so like the first couple who the board game couple yeah. is what they're called I'm a board game guy I'm not <laughs> yeah, a I am too I like, like yeah. I like board games um but like but there's a lot I, I love it because people have come up to me and said oh that first couple is insufferable they're the worst <laughs> I totally know them and I'm like that is absolutely me and my partner like I am making fun of us in that and uh it was and making it's not fun so of me bad. too I could very yeah. much relate that's like why I love the story so much yeah I, I'm a um, trivia but, but then there are also like in the other so then they decide that they're not going to hang out with this couple anymore and they attempt to find a different couple to start hanging out with um or a different set of people or whatever uh to hang out with and um and you know it's like everybody has a reason that they can be eliminated you know and so i think it's 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 ultimately points back at that couple who's trying to hang out with other people and just like being so judgmental and awful to everyone that they meet. Um, but you know, that's everyone, you know, I, I, I don't know. Like, I think that there's like, there's, there's a, a little bit of a meanness to the humor and the story, oh, but, um, but everyone's guilty of it. So I feel like it's, it's not totally, cruel like even even that couple in the end of the story isn't um absolved of that same uh, unlikability well i'm known as the malcontent yeah on i-94 so that's jamie and mike have christened me that my <laughs> the one that i laughed out loud was the 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 guys from the gym and talking about i hope he's not we can't say uh i hope he's not pooping himself oh yeah, <laughs> yeah I, we can't swear but uh and you know they're sitting having dinner, and and the partner 
mentions that that could be happening, and that may I have eighth grade sense of humor, so I laughed out loud <laughs> at that. But that was based on a true story. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. That yeah. I, I like it even more now. But I could really relate. You know, one of the things we talk about in the world is people don't have connections anymore, especially in this world of technology where we're all connected, but no one really is. And I, I saw people trying to make connections with other people and being horribly annoyed by it, but at least they're trying. Yeah. But I, I, I like that, that idea and the attempt that they made because that's, I mean, aren't we all looking for connections and, and things to do and, and, and it was a it was a nice satire of a, a very I don't know upper middle class kind of hanging out with other couples lifestyle, but I I I, I could relate to it in a lot of ways because a lot of those things would be would make me make fun of it and be extraordinarily annoyed. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think I I mean I I like. Uh, you know, I say this, and there are definitely days where I'm not this merry about it, but I like being annoyed by people because I think there, I find like this certain joy in the humanity. Like, I might be sort of pissed off. Is that okay that I yeah. said that? Sorry. Uh, by people like it, like for a little while, but then like I can kind of quickly turn it to see how hypocritical I'm being about it too. Like this is giving myself a lot of credit. Well, that's a huge, am that, right? a huge but amount like, of self-awareness. But, yeah. but I think that ultimately it goes back to like the liking to write and liking to uh, pull from life, it, even if in very small ways. Um, and so maybe it's like a gratitude for material or something, but, um, but I really, I, I mean, I think it's, it's much easier to excuse bad behavior in people that I don't know. So if I see someone like at the grocery store acting out, I just, it's the best part of my day. Like I can't wait <laughs> to like tell someone about you this. You should work someone. in a public yeah. library. Yeah. You'd be happy <laughs> all day long. I do. I used to work. I used to be a bookseller actually and um, and they my uh, I worked at women and children first and this is really throwing my old co-workers under the bus be because I loved them all um, but n none of them work there anymore so it's okay I think um, but they would be like Jack you you work the counter because you're the only one who will smile at people <laughs> and I and I I think even then it was a like a when someone came in and asked for the blue book or whatever mm -hmm. like there was something in me that was just like this is amazing you know? the one with the red cover by that yeah. one guy yeah like quite a bit of that too yeah of course, that's like that's the frustration with retail though that's not just you know right it's everything yeah. yeah 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 well the public library has the lovely advantage that anyone can come in and hang out you know they don't necessarily have to be shopping yeah and i am very easily annoyed and i feel like i'm also a bit of a, a this isn't all that pc but of a crazy magnet so if there's someone that's a tiny bit off within a three mile radius they'll sit next to me on the train or that's true yeah have a conversation with me and most of the time i enjoy it um unless you know, they yeah, peed on themselves or, It's because you, know, you look so warm and approachable. Yes, generally. yes, that's, I, that must be what it is. It is. Yeah. It's your so, open face. But getting back to the story that the, I thought it was, you know, people looking for connections and it's, it's a very, it's a little bit uh, snarky, but it's also very realistic yeah. from, from my interpretation. Yeah. There, there's, there are also stories where 
connections are made where you think they wouldn't be or shouldn't be. They're, they're kind of taboo. I'm thinking of uh, pastoral. Um, and that, that story is about a, a sex scene. I don't know if it's a porn film. It's a sex worker. Okay. Yeah, it's a, yeah okay. I think they're okay. shooting a porn. But That's my interpretation of my okay. own story. <laughs> but there are, uh, interspersed throughout the story, there are passages from, uh, was it Virgil? Virgil? Yeah. Yeah. What, what made you decide to, to do that? I was thinking about... I was thinking about the pastoral as a concept and like what in modern life you could turn into a pastoral that has really, that doesn't have those connotations at all. And so sex work seemed like the thing where everyone is always like reading into the psychology of the people who do it and projecting lots of um, trauma or, you know, or uh, like some sort of, damage or something and um and I just really like I thought it seemed uh interesting to try and write uh like a sex worker who is like satisfied with the work that they're there's, doing there's a great description in there of a breast mumbling oh. <laughs> a mumbling her breast mumbled behind behind her her toga I think she was oh. wearing a toga <laughs> in the scene well when you were talking about defamiliarizing language that that, that was one of those points where it's just kind of like you know, it makes you stop for, for just a second. It made, made me want to read more. Um, I read an interview with you. I can't remember where it was. It said uh, you were talking about how you knew you wanted to write really, really early, like third grade or something mm -hmm. crazy like that. So obviously you were, you were a huge reader early on, and I'm just wondering how your tastes as a reader and how you think about fiction has changed from that third point grade? to now. Well, yeah. I mean, like, think of think about Some how you think of fiction same. now, <laughs> and uh, the way you think of it in high school, and the way you think of it. You 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 were taught it in college, yeah. Yeah. So, I gotta think the you you would think about what fiction is for and how it what purpose is for for you and for general readers has changed throughout each stage. Yeah, um, I mean, some of it actually does, is kind of surprisingly consistent. Like, I did really love ghost stories, and I loved Edgar Allan. I think it's so funny that kids read Edgar Allan Poe. Like that, that's like like everybody ends up reading that when they're very when they're very young. Um, that um, I really loved. I, I mean, I went directly from like Roald Dole's uh, book, like kids' books, to his adult fiction, uh, and he has anthologies of ghost stories and that's too. That's pretty tough. That yeah, that's oh, a pretty hard stuff. Is yeah, legit. Um, but some of it, <laughs> like go from that's James very... the Giant's Beach to Switch Bitch. Yeah. Well, but I but mean, but, but you look at something like The Witches or the right. Twit the twits or something yeah. and like there's so much cruelty in those stories or matilda oh, you know yeah for sure i mean he said he sounds like that. he was also not a good guy if you like look into his past unfortunately well, you know, he also had a very but, serious head injury too oh i didn't know that he was an air force pilot and he was shot down during the Blitz, I want to say. He had actually apparently never written before this. Um, I was a huge fan of Roald Dahl as a kid, and my yeah, mom was yeah. also a writer. Told me this this story, and it's it's true. But apparently he, he had this traumatic head injury. He had never written. He would never had any real artistic license at all. And in the hospital, he started writing and drawing. Wow. And that was when he started his writing career. Um, but, yeah, he suffered a, a pretty major head injury that also apparently made him a fairly peculiar human being. Yeah, um, the I the 
adult story of his that just really uh, did it for me when I was moving from from the kids lit to adult stuff was Man from the South. Do you yeah. know that mm-hmm. one? Yep. Yeah, where yeah. the where the old man is gambling his fingers yep. away, basically. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, so there was always like a, an interest in darkness. Um, but then I think, you know, in, um, in high school and to college, like I was trying to figure out what I wanted to read. And so I was, I wasn't thinking about how to find things that were really engaging to me craft wise. I was thinking more content wise, cause I didn't understand that there could be a difference between those things. So I really liked like Chuck Palahniuk, like in high school, like in fight club and that kind of stuff, like going into college. And then in college, I felt really grateful that there were, professors who would introduce me to more experimental writers. So I was really into like the whole Dalkey archive. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, of course. Or huge yeah. fans. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. So David Markson and Carol Maso. Did you know he wrote det- uh, Detective Yes, novels? I've read those. I They're just good. read those recently. They're pretty good, yeah, right? They, yeah, they were great. Yeah. I, what I, Epitaph for a Tramp and yeah, Epitaph, Epitaph for a Deadbeat. Deadbeat, yeah, yes. Yeah. I just read that, both of those, actually like two weeks ago. And what I loved about it is everybody read books yeah like the bartender would like set a book down and, and yeah thinking about that and actually reading uh flannery o'connor's the letters i was talking about earlier everybody used to read yeah and we, we've 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 lost that like so so much you know i yeah. uh, people don't read like they used to and i mean obviously we have a room full of booksellers here tonight i mean we know this it it it, it, it bumps me out to know it yeah <laughs> Sorry, yeah. I just went on a tangent. But no, it's okay. No, it's good. Um, and now I would say I'm maybe more, because I feel like I had sort of like found people that I was really, uh, t- that just were doing things with fiction that I was totally unaware of uh, as an option, that now the way that I approach my reading maybe is more... Um, like I, I will read genres that I wouldn't normally be attracted to just out of an interest to see like how those work. Um, I like reading work in translation when I can, cause that's usually, um, they're doing things in a different way than I do them. And, and it's usually exciting and opening. Um, yeah, and, and I would say also as I've gotten older, like I used to have a real hostility to classics and I'm not as uh, resistant to those now because uh, I don't know. It's like um, like there's usually something there that I realize, oh, this was missing from my understanding of how fiction has developed or something. And so it's interesting to think figure out those missing pieces you know like just to call back to what we were talking about like not having having avoided Ambrose Bierce Mm -hmm. for a long time because I just thought oh he's had enough readers so Mm -hmm. I'm gonna read this other stuff and do something totally different but actually there's something um once you have sort of pieced together this your own timeline of literature that you can go back and fill in these gaps and see how that relates to things Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah It's interesting talking about some of the specific stories. One of the ones that um, I really enjoyed was Delivery uh, because it reminded me, um, my, my grandmother, when she passed away, um, had dementia, and she was ordering things uh, from like QVC and stuff. So I got some really nice um, cookware, which I really enjoyed, <laughs> yes. some really nice Delft. My cousin also got some nice Delft and some nice cookware. Her, You can see where this is going. Uh, but... Um, 
the thing that struck me about it and that kind of tipped it into, again, what we were talking about earlier, the edge of the uncanny, was in the story, um, it's not quite clear whether the father who is suffering and ordering these things, seemingly unaware, is actually trying to set up miniature versions of things that are going on, uh, kind of a regressive recursion of, of things, uh, or whether this is just a garden variety delivery dementia. And I liked that kind of uncertainty. And I also like thinking about this kind of TARDIS-like, you know, <laughs> spiel down into smaller and smaller versions of the house. Mm -hmm. And it, there's got this kind of ambiguity at the end of the story where you're not really sure whether that's what's going on or nothing was going on at all. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that was that was one of the stories that I thought, again, really in terms of the economy of language and the sleekness of it, because the people that you described in the story um, were by all accounts or, or by your own telling, normal people. They, they were just getting the action forward. It was the situation that was strange. And it, it, begot, it became eerier and eerier as it went on. It's not really a question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's a really beautiful reading, though. I appreciate it. Uh, and, uh, and I mean, you, you're picking up everything I'm putting down. So thank oh, you. Oh, well, there we that. go. Yeah. Um, but it, I, what was the inspiration for that? I'm just curious. I mean, because I had somebody like that in my family. That's what I was. Yeah. My I guess there is a yeah, question there, too. My dad has had um, really, my dad is still with us, but um, was diagnosed with MS when mm. he was only uh, 60 years old, so very premature, yeah. and is very, um, like, generationally proud and masculine man um, who would never talk about anything that was bothering him. Um, and so, and, I mean, I guess there's the question, too, of, uh, like, how much he was actually aware of or how, right. like, how much he was in denial himself. But so the... Um, so the part of the story about the man ordering stuff through the cable, who through like basically just with his remote is true. And m m the idea of creating secondary uh, or, you know, like third and fourth worlds in the basement that's made up. But, um, but yeah, so I also, yeah, uh, you get it. I got it. Yeah, yeah I got yeah. it. Was there a lot of QVC? So I don't. I might have been QVC or HSN. I okay. don't know. Yeah, yeah I mean, but, inner, you know, but yeah, but there was this thing where like you could. You probably still can do it. You can. They would like come up with a a flip cam on the TV or something, and you just needed to press like a button and then order. Oh, <laughs> like so, all this oh, stuff really? started coming to the house, and we were like, "What is this?" <laughs> Um, and I was already out of the house by then, but we, so we were trying to like figure out what was going on and he was just playing it off. Like he knew what it was and had ordered it mm -hmm. knowingly, you mm -hmm. know? Um, yeah. How many flip cams did you eventually have? We did get two. I think we only got two Nintendo Wii's. Okay. Um, but we got a flip cam. We got um, a laptop. He got a flat screen TV. Cool. Like it was all electronic. Well, no. And he did order like a set of reading glasses for my mom that were the wrong prescription. Mm -hmm. Um and then coins. He was also really into ordering the, these collectible coins. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How about mm -hmm. the uh, speaking of stories? Uh, I wanted to talk about the Halifax slasher. Yeah. I I um, I don't know. Can we do spoilers? I it, yeah. I just did. I don't so believe yes. in spoilers. Okay. So. Yeah. Good. <laughs> I mean, the book's out. People people have had a chance to read it. 
If they haven't read it, they're going to find out about it. Right True now. enough. So we find out at the conclusion of the story that there was these victims of a serial killer in Halifax, and it turns out that all of them were lying, including the narrator. Is that a correct interpretation? Well, not the narrator, because the narrator is the the he was the boyfriend Sorry, of yes. the, like the his first girlfriend. victim. Yeah, his girlfriend was also lying. Correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How did you? So it's taking something that's common in our well, you know, not common, but we have this kind of true crime. Not kind of. I hate when I say kind of. We have this true crime obsession in America right now. We have this proposed serial killer and then these young women faking their attacks to get attention. How, how did you come up with that idea? Well, it's ba- so the Halifax Slasher is a real story of mass hysteria. Oh. Uh, there was a town of people where there were like 20 attacks uh, and, uh, and then slowly everyone admitted that it hadn't happened. But... Um, but Do you know when it was? Uh, it was maybe... A, it was... Early 20th century, I think. Oh, okay. like maybe turn of the century, maybe okay. uh, through the. So 30s, it wasn't like the Satanic there, Panic era or any of that. No, um, it's older than that. Okay. Um, but the last person in the story never admits that it's it didn't happen to her. Uh, I just want to call out uh, because. She, I mean, at the end of the story, like her friend says it didn't happen to her. Always open-ended. But, um, uh, so, I mean, this, I wrote that story before all of the, um, all of the, like, Me Too movement stuff. Um, but, uh, I mean, I think in my mind, I still believe that something maybe happened to that first person and that that doesn't mean that she shouldn't be believed just because 19 people were lying. Uh, was Susie the first? Um, or was Susie the girlfriend? Because I, I Susie is the girlfriend and the first, I right. think. Yeah, and then okay. Carolina is because the second. Because I actually thought yeah. she was lying. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, yeah it's open-ended. She says the last line is she touched the scab on her lip and felt nothing but truth. Felt nothing but truth. Right. But is it true that she was nothing happened? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but that's that's how I interpret it. Of course, everyone interprets things differently. But you are the writer, so you were saying that you believe that it did happen to her. But whatever I believe, whatever you believe, whatever oh, I of believe, course. No, I'm not saying that it's, not it's it, what I have to give is left on the page. Okay, <laughs> that's that's, a, that's an interesting thing because I, I think this kind of goes back to something we talked about earlier. You said earlier you know that you want to get to a specific twist in a story and you kind of move toward that mm-hmm. but does that mean you don't necessarily know what the characters are going to do to get there um different writers have you know different kind of takes on that sometimes they get the characters and they put them in their heads and they play around and they do different things and, and sometimes people you know have very meticulous plots and cards and it's, it's this giant kind of serial killer spider web sort of thing that you see on csi to write a novel or write a, write a story. Where, where's your process in that? Yeah, um, well, with the Halifax Slasher, for instance, I didn't know what the ending was gonna be. So there are definitely stories in here that I didn't know what the twist was or what I wanted that reversal to be um, that were more exploratory in process and then maybe I figured out where I wanted to 
to cut it off. But um, but so uh, yeah, no, that's true. That like like another story. I mean, just while we're spoiling things, uh, the story Default, where it's a list of all these, like, memories that uh, a young... Pr- uh, I thought of it as a male narrator. Everyone's read it as a female narrator. Um, all these things that he remembers about his father, and then um, his sister reveals something about his father in the end of the story that uh, sort of changes the way that he's felt about all of that. Mm-hmm. Like, with that one, I knew... Uh, I knew what I wanted the reversal to be, but I didn't know what their life was. I just had an idea of the life, and then everything is sort of made up of just these like very like snapshotty kind of memories of their time together. Gotcha. So, um, so yeah. So I mean, there's definitely um, sometimes I sometimes I am wrong about how to get to that end that I'm thinking about, and I've got to try a few things. Gotcha. You is know what the greatest spoiler of all time was? Luke, uh, Darth Vader's Luke's father? No, Mayor Quimby on The Simpsons told the entire town the end of the crying game. That's true. He oh, did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He did. That's the best spoiler of all. That was the best spoiler. I actually thought it was a woman as well. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. There are a bunch of male narrators in the book, and everybody's reading all of them as male, and that's it's fine, and I think that it's kind of works with what a, like a lot of the themes that I'm exploring mm-hmm. and stuff. I'm sort of grateful for it because it... It makes more sense than the randomness a, of my having chosen gender. I have a tendency, like, if I'm reading an author that's male, For sure. I think that if they're yeah. short stories and it's not, uh, if you're not told what it is or yeah, yeah, what the totally gender understand. is, and, and if sure. it's a woman, it's the same way for me. I always end up with. Yeah, and of course, well, yeah. Because hmm. Hmm. I, I don't know, like, <laughs> this is me, but, like, when I read a book, like, I'll look at the picture. Okay, there you are. When I open the page, and I think... That's where it's coming from. Yeah. But it's not always yeah. the case, obviously. That's yeah. <laughs> of course, it's actually when I didn't actually <laughs> look at the picture on the back of the book, I, I knew you were a woman, but if I picked this up, I might not have had any idea what uh, your gender is. You know what I mean? Maybe you should tell sure. the, the publisher not to put the picture on the back, and then they can make up their own narrator, and it can be any gender they want. No, I don't care about that. <laughs> 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 I'm a woman. Total honesty. I love it. We're, uh, we're almost running out of time here. Are there... One of the things I kind of wanted to wrap up with, and, and by the way, congratulations on this. And Thank congratulations you. Congratulations on the new gig Thanks. in, in we California. We all loved it. Thank you so much. Yeah, Thanks. really did. I mean, usually at least one of us hates the book oh. uh, on this show, and I think all of us really enjoyed the book. So wow. Or if not hated, hey, like, hey. Eh, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I, this, was, this was one of the, uh, I would say actually this was one of the better ones we've read this year. Yeah, short stories. I really, really enjoyed it. So congratulations on that. So it means nothing, but congratulations. You get a IE or whatever our... Are there writers working right now that are appealing to you and that you're looking at as kind of peers or, or you're enjoying or, or envious of even? Oh. Envy's, envy's the best emotion in a lot of ways for a writer. Yeah, tons of them. No, I mean, but I think envy is good. I think it pushes people to yeah, like try and like, yeah, yeah. I don't think that's, you know, I think if you can make it productive, then it's not a bad thing. Yeah, I mean, now don't stalk them. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I love, I I don't even know that any of these will be super surprising, but like, I love Carmen Maria Machado's work right now. Um, Helen Oyeyemi. Uh, um, I really like Otessa Moshfe. Um, yeah, Amelia should, we Gray. Get, we tried to get her on the Lindsay show, Hunter. but she has like, crippling anxiety, apparently. 
Oh, Otessa? Yeah. I we'll did a Alman conversation just... with her at Women and Children First, and she was great. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah just... I was really nervous about it, because she can be down. a little, like, oh. I don't know, I feel like she can throw people for a loop sometimes, mm. but I thought she was very generous. Oh, huh. yeah. interesting. Now, that was Lucy Alman. Oh, was Lucy Alman? Yeah, we tried to get oh. her. Oh. Um, can yeah, I give a shameless book. plug, though? I'm going to be on Chad Post's 3% discussing uh, Duck's Lucy, Newberry yeah. Port on December 4th, so. Shameless. Cool. Yes, but Chad's a big, he's been a big Open supporter, great. Big supporter of I-94, and I just wanted to give a little plug for his thing, too. So, awesome. and No I calls be, to action, no calls. And I will, oh, that's, well, that's not selling anything. Okay. But I will be talking about that very long book, and I did read it. So, The and fact I, is, you read it. Uh, the fact is, Jamie's does not like that it says the fact is all the time, so. Yeah. <laughs> Are you ready yet? No, That's you're talking about uh, uh, Ducks, Ducks Newberry Port. Port. Yeah. Yeah. Jamie's pet peeve is the fact is, and mine is so-called. When people oh. say, like, the so-called this, the so-called oh. Kind of. Kind yeah, of. well, yeah, the fact is, is this kind of so-called show of I-94 is over. over. Please give it up for Jack Johnson. Thank you. Thanks, Jack. Thank you. is Hunting Radio's Books and Literature program, airing every Sunday at 11 a.m. Central. This episode featured Jack Jump, author of False Bingo, out now from Pharrell, Strauss, and Giroux. This episode was originally taped in front of a live studio audience at The Dial on November 21st and originally aired on November 24th, 2019. I-94 is a Lumpin' Radio production with readings by Shannon Van Volt, show intro and promo voiced by David Green, music by Laurie Johnson and Bill Bennett from the KPM Archive. For more information on I-94 and for past episodes, visit eye94.org. For more information on Lumpin' Radio, visit lumpinradio.com.